Welcome to episode 73 of the Practice of Nonprofit Leadership. I'm Tim Barnes. And I'm Nathan Ruby. Well, Nathan, the last few weeks, we have been focused on talking about preparing for this new year and trying to get our maybe our proverbial ducks in a row to help make this a really good year uh, in nonprofit work. Believe it or not, as this uh, as this episode hits, we are one twelfth of the year over. We are through January and we're plugging along here, but uh, have really enjoyed some of the topics we've been talking about and had some good interaction with others uh, as they have responded to some of the topics that we've talked about. So we hope you're excited about 2023. I'm sure it's not without challenges, but we're pushing through. We want to push through together. So today, Nathan, as we talked about all the things, and especially last week, well, the last couple of weeks talking about new initiatives and talking about staffing, Today, we're going to talk about how the heck are we going to pay for all this great work our organizations are going to do this year. And here at the Practice of Nonprofit Leadership, uh, the podcast, we spend a, a pretty good percentage of our time talking about fundraising. I'm not sure what it is, but it feels like about about 95%. Uh, <laughs> it's a pretty high percentage. <laughs> yeah. I actually have fundraising as a topic or a theme, or it definitely comes up. And I wonder why that is other than the fact that your whole life is fundraising, but um, well, yeah, it's like the only thing I know how to talk about Tim. <laughs> well, actually you're much broader than that, uh, but it is a passion and you're darn good at it. And uh, anyway, but why, why do you think that seems to float back up into our episode so much? Yeah, I think Tim, the, the simple answer is that's where the majority of small to medium nonprofit executive directors it's where they struggle. Uh, they they struggle the most. And it's also where we get the most questions and the most requests for help. Okay. I'm going to keep asking questions. <laughs> why do you think that is? Why is that the why is that such an area that people struggle with? Yeah, I, I think it boils down to fundraising puts the vast majority of people outside of their comfort zone. And there's a saying that goes, people don't like to be sold, but they love to buy. And that's actually by a series of books written by Jeffrey Gitmer. And Jeffrey is, he's actually a sales trainer and I highly recommend his, his books. And we'll actually put that into the show notes, a, a reference to some of his books. But, you know, I, I think executive directors are under the false impression that they are selling when in fact their actual job is to help donors buy I'm, I'm using my air quotes, uh, Tim, uh, to buy the organization. And so executive directors think that they're they're if they go out and talk about fundraising and ask donors that they're they're a, a used car salesman uh, instead of of representing their organization. And so it just it, it gets them so far out of their comfort zone. They just don't want to do it. Well, Nathan, that's a, a perfect segue uh, to make a quick comment about our upcoming fundraising class. And uh, Nathan, if you had to sum up why this masterclass is valuable, what would it be? You know, I think this number one, the biggest ROI, the biggest value prop of this class is going to be confidence, uh, fundraising confidence. And I believe the single largest obstacle to executive directors fully maximizing revenue for their small to medium sized organizations is they simply lack the confidence to fully engage in fundraising. And when you come out of this masterclass, you will have the skills and the confidence that you know what you're doing 
and can confidently go talk to donors and ask them to support your organizations. And Tim, you know, this uh, this episode that we're recording is scheduled to drop uh, Wednesday, February 8th, if I'm not mistaken. And that is just by chance the day before this masterclass starts on the 9th. So if you were listening to this on the 8th, on the day that it dropped uh, and you're on the fence, this is go to uh, Tim, help us again on the on the website where the information's at. It is at where? I'm just going to put it in the show notes. It's easier for you just to go there. We have a landing page that you can click on there and it'll take you right there to get signed up. Awesome. There it is. Make it simple. But if if you're listening to this on the 8th, you know, I, of course, you know, it's, it's a, a class that Tim and I designed and I'll be leading it. So I guess maybe we're a little biased, but I just, I really think that you will get every penny of value out of this class. Uh, plus a whole lot of leverage. So hope you're there. If you're listening to this on the 9th or the 10th, you missed it, but that's okay. We're going to come back with another one soon. All right. Well, that sounds great. Well, Nathan, we're talking about uh, fundraising, as we mentioned, and you're going to give us a little bit of a snapshot. You're going to give us three things to consider, three things to challenge us with when we think about how we're going to pay for all the great stuff we're doing this year. So why don't we jump into it? Yeah, it's amazing, Tim, how the the January is over. It's done. Even when it, it, I just, it goes so fast. Time, it just keeps getting faster and faster and faster. And the first month of the year is gone. And so it's time to get fundraising back up center, uh, front and center in your consciousness uh, as we're moving forward. But I do have three quick points for us today. And the first one is if you are leading your organization, if you're the executive director, you have got to be the lead champion for your organization. So what does it mean? What does it mean to be the leading champion? Well, there's a couple of different types of champions and we are getting into, we are in February. And so there is a whole lot of sports that are kind of winding down to the end of their seasons. We've got the Super Bowl coming up in a couple of weeks, uh, college basketball in a lot of states, a high school basketball. March Madness is starting. And so by the end of March, you'll you'll have the NCAA uh, men's and women's basketball championships and high school championships. And so in sports, we we have a champion. There can only be one champion. You know, there's one winner at the top and then everybody else below. So that is a type of champion. There are sporting champions. And then there can be a champion for a cause. There on there are all kinds of, of different causes, some more controversial than other, uh, where people become deeply, deeply passionate about that. And Tim, I, I know that you know you have people in your life that are extremely passionate about a particular cause. And that is that is good. It's good to to have a cause uh, that you're that you deeply care about. Sometimes it's it's a little difficult to be around people that are like overly zealous of, about their particular cause. But that is a different type of champion, being champion for a cause. What we're talking about here is being a champion for your organization, and that means using another phrase is being its greatest cheerleader. It is your job. It is in your job description, whether it's actually written or not. Um, it, it is you have got to be the biggest cheerleader for your organization. 
And I think that comes out or or that exhibits itself in becoming the biggest risk taker for your organization. Okay. Now, wait a minute, Nathan. So when you think about this, what do you mean by risk taker? What, what is, what's behind that? So let's say that you are at a local chamber of commerce uh, after hours event. And just if, if you are the executive director of your organization and you are not attending chamber of commerce events or other type of social events like that, uh, start getting it into your schedule and start going. You need to be at these type of events. But for this example, let's say that you're at the event, you're standing there, you're talking to people you know, you've got your little plate of, of food, of hors d'oeuvres in your one hand, you've got your drink in your other hand, and you're standing there and you gaze across the room and there you go. You see the CEO of the company that is top of your list. It is, it's the biggest company in town. The CEO is philanthropic and your board has said, if we could only get this company to support us, all of our financial problems will be, will be done. And there they are across the room. So the biggest cheerleader, the biggest risk taker, the biggest champion puts down their food, puts down their drink, walks across the room, stands there, waits for an opening without without being awkward about it. And when the right time comes, sticks their hands out and says, hi, I'm Nathan Ruby. I run the, insert your own organization's name. We've been, you've been on my list for months. Would you be open to visiting with me in the next week or two so I could share some of the amazing things that we're doing? That's what a champion does. That's what a cheerleader does is you have to take the risk to go talk to the donors, to the potential donors that could radically change the course of your organization. I get it. That sometimes really you have to push out of your comfort zone, right? I mean, that's it's hard to do. Without doubt. And I think that goes back to when we were talking about the masterclass and, and the word confidence. And it is very difficult to do that if you're not confident in, in what you're saying, if you don't know exactly what to say, if you've never done it before. I mean, you remember, Tim, but back when we were kids, well, kind of we're dating ourselves here, Tim, but I guess that's okay. Uh, remember the first time that you picked up the phone and ordered pizza on your own? No. <laughs> <laughs> because it was so long ago, you don't remember that. Yeah. But, you know, that was some of the biggest, like the, the biggest uh fear and trepidation for kids that were, you know, 14, 15, 16 years old was back in the day was, you know, picking up the phone and ordering a pizza to be delivered because you had to talk to somebody, couldn't see him. You didn't know him. You didn't know exactly what to say. Uh, and, and, but we, you know, we worked through that and, and, and you, you lived through that. It's the same way with this. The, the first couple of times that you do it, it, it is nerve wracking and it is, it does make you nervous and it is difficult, but after you do it two or three or four times and, and you embarrass yourself once or twice, then it, it becomes old school. It becomes normal it, it, and it's not a big deal anymore. But here's the point, Tim is it's you, it's your job. You have to do that. Your board, it's not their job. It's not your volunteer's job. It's not staff's job. It, it's your job. Now that doesn't mean that you know you won't have somebody. Maybe a board member will help you. That I'm not saying that, but it's not their job. It's your job. You are the biggest cheerleader. You are the biggest risk taker. You are the champion for your organization. You have got to do things like this. All right, number two, 
you have to tell stories. People will remember the stories that you tell, not the facts and figures that you give them. So here's an example. So a few years ago, and I have spent most of my career, and Tim has as well. It's it's part of the one of the things that connects us so deeply is a passion and commitment for the world and for international uh, organizations that are working internationally. And Tim has spent the vast majority of his uh, career working internationally, as as I have, and a lot of times when we're traveling. Uh, we don't, our wives, our spouses have not been able to go with us. And that's just one of the downfalls. And so a few years ago, I was doing some work down for an organization down in Nicaragua. Uh, it matched up with uh, my wife's, my wife's a teacher, matched up with her off season where she was off. And so she, we decided that she would go with me. And so she went down and we spent a week in, in Managua and just with one of my gr- best organizations I work with and just great people. We just had a great time. So one of the programs that this organization had was schools. They they had a school, a lot of schools in Latin America uh, are half day. So you have morning class or afternoon class. And then what this organization did was for those kids that for the morning kids, they would go to public school in the morning. And then in the afternoon, they would come to this organization's programmings and vice versa. The afternoon school kids would come to the organization in the morning. And so they would get additional help and support and they would get different uh, add-ons you know, to vocational training, et cetera, et cetera. They also did a handful of or uh, towns that they were in, they also did their own schools. So education was a big part of their programming. So I had Miss go to one of the schools in one of the schools that was nearby where I was going to be for the day. We dropped her off uh, in the morning. At the end of the day, we picked her up and she was so excited and had such a great time and enjoyed so much of the day. And one of the stories that she told me was she went to after school uh, they had a teacher's meeting. And if you're a teacher, everybody knows teacher meetings that's been going on for generations. The The topic of this teacher meeting was teaching the teachers the next week's lessons. So the teachers were not, they, they were not, they did not have university degrees in teaching. They were students that had gone all the way through into high school, graduated high school, and loved, loved education, loved the school, got hired to be a teacher, but they didn't have any training. So they were learning the lesson three to four days ahead of the students. And it it just, it, it broke her heart that, well, it broke her heart and, and it, it made her so excited simultaneously. If you can have a broken heart and, and be happy at the same time. And she was happy because these these teachers were were so dedicated and so excited and so deep into what they were learning so that they could teach their students um while at the same time th- they were they didn't have the education they needed to to be the best teacher that they could be it was this great story uh of this organization they needed textbooks they needed money to fix the roof because you could see where the rain had come in when it was raining. They needed to pay their teachers. They needed to supplement school lunches because the, the government didn't have enough money to provide good, healthy school lunches. The list of, of things that they needed were extensive. But 
that's not what got donors attention. What gets their attention is the story. It's the story that motivates donors to write checks. It's the, if the donor feels an emotional connection to the story, they will get out their checkbook and write checks, which then when the donors give checks, that means the textbooks are provided. The roof is fixed. The teachers get paid. The lunches get better. All of those things happen when the donors connected to the story. So tell this, tell the story. Donors don't care about your budget. They don't care about your leaky roof. What they do care is that those teachers were able to teach their students the lessons because they took the time to learn themselves. That's how you fundraise. I think that's really good, Nathan. I, I think sometimes, you know, you do run into people who they do want the metrics. <laughs> you know, there are some people that are geared that way. And metrics can be important as you try to measure your impact. But you're exactly right. I'm with you on that. You know, you can throw out a bunch of metrics, but until you put names on them, you know, it's gonna it's gonna be a hard hard sell for the majority of our of donors, I would believe. Yeah, absolutely, Tim. You're absolutely right. <clears throat> and metrics are critically important. And especially when you get up to larger and larger uh gifts in into the major gift sphere, the larger the gift. Um, the more, the more metrics will come out, uh, because people that are, are giving your donors that are giving larger and larger checks, often they have a little different mindset about their giving. They're looking for a little bit more of long-term impact and a little bit more of systemic change. And to them, metrics become very important. And if you don't have the metrics to show that you are making an impact, then then you it gets harder and harder to do major gifts. But the fact still remains that it is still emotion first, metric second. And it starts with emotion because you'll never you'll never get you'll never get the checkbook out of the pocket if you don't have the emotion. And again, as you get into bigger and bigger gift, bigger and bigger gifts, yeah, that checkbook comes out, but then it goes back to the head. And the donor saying, okay, does this gift make sense? Are they really making a difference like they say they are? Is my money really being used to its best use? Uh, and those questions come up, which then metrics and organizational goals and outputs and all of those things then back up that emotional feeling that the donor had from the first place. And the reason I bring this up is because a lot of executive directors go straight to the metrics. Because it's look, you know, we've we've got 14 kids in class instead of 12. And look, the the average grade point is, you know, 3.6 and it used to be 2.8. Look at a great job we're doing. That doesn't, that doesn't, that won't create the emotional impact that you need, Tim. You've got to have those stories that create the emotion. So we're being challenged to champion our organization, to tell the stories, but I think you have a third one as well. Yes. And number three is you have to ask. And the note that I have on this is I know that I know. And the phrase I know that I know means I know that I know that you have to ask to get your best gift. And you were just came out of year end fundraising. And you're probably saying to yourself, or you're listening to this podcast. Well, yeah, Nathan, I, I get it. But I just had a donor write a fill in the number of a $500 check, a $1,000 check, a $5,000 check. 
And it it just came. I didn't even know it was coming. And I didn't even have to ask. I didn't have to do any of this. It just showed up. And I guess my my comment to that is, yes, it did show up and it's awesome. And we celebrate that. I had a few of those in my organization year end. I had a few of those gifts show up where it's like, whoa, that's awesome. I Oh, I didn't even know that was coming. And so we celebrate those and we're thankful for those. I also know that in general, a donor's capacity is five to 10 times their unsolicited gift. So if you had somebody send you a thousand dollar check in December and you didn't know it was coming and you celebrated that, that's that's great. It is something to be excited about. The the issue is they probably could have written a ten thousand dollar check if you had gone through the cultivation process and, and made an ask. So I could pretty much guarantee you that you're leaving you're leaving money on the table by by not doing this. And you know, Tama, as we started this podcast, uh, we're coming up on two years here. And I know you've had over this time, you've had donors in your organization that are, you know, that may have started out as as unsolicited gifts, but you have done a phenomenal job job cultivating those, asking and have reaped the benefits of that process. Yeah, definitely. You know, a lot in particular with with some of the foundations that we've connected with and it's been someone has opened the door for us to meet with somebody and to, to talk with them. And, uh, and, you know, we've, we've had a couple surprise gifts where people heard about us and we ended up getting a gift, which was great. I mean, to be able to do that, but the, the challenge is to not take that for granted and not go, Hey, wow, I don't have to do much work. It's just going to show up. Yeah, maybe once or twice that happens, but um, you got to keep at it. And so we've seen we've seen it continue to grow, where it's opened other doors for us. But it's it's we make sure that we show up every year. We make sure that we have conver- phone conversations. We we keep saying, "Hey, this is what's going on." We tell those stories, and those gifts then start to creep up because they get confident in what we're doing and they get excited about it. You just have to be careful. Don't take those gifts for granted. They're not guaranteed. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And the I, I am not a gardener uh, or a outdoor uh, grass landscaping person. Uh, I grew up with a, a really big yard and it was my job at an early age to take care of that yard. And I, 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 ex- I, I gave out all I have to give for landscaping when I was a kid. And so I'm trying to think in my yard, especially in my front yard, if I could figure out how to afford to put AstroTurf in, Tim, then I wouldn't have to do anything. And that's my goal is to have a yard that I have I don't have to touch. So I am not a gardener by any stretch of the imagination. But the reference is is works. And if you're if you're a gardener, you like to to raise, you know, vegetables or flowers or whatever you getting gifts that just come in on their own is like planting a seed and then never doing anything about it. Uh, you know, you don't plant a seed and then not water it or, you know, weed it or fertilize it or all the other things that you do. If, if you don't nurture it and love it at, at when it's time to, to have the harvest, nothing happens. There's, there's nothing there. So it just, that's the, that's the way giving is. And that's the way gifts is. You have to cultivate, you have to ask. And if you don't, 
you're never ever going to maximize the amount of revenue that your that your organization truly deserves to have and and literally could have if you're not doing those things. So you got to ask. Well, Nick, is some really good points and so applicable, I think, to where where we are right now. Why don't you just kind of give us a, a summary and give us a plug there? Yeah. So here's what I want you to remember from today's episode. Generating the revenue for your organization that you need to complete your mission is your responsibility. It's not the board. It's not staff. It's not volunteers. You. It's your responsibility as the executive director. Do the board and volunteers and staff, do they all have a role? Well, yeah, of course they do. It's no question that that they do. But it all starts with you, the executive director. So if you're starting from scratch on your fundraising journey, or even if you've been doing this for a little while and you just need a, a quick reminder, here's where you go back. Here's where you start. Champion your organization, tell stories, and make sure that you're asking. It's the best place to start to get your fundraising on track for 2023. Thank you for listening today. If you're benefiting from what is being shared on this podcast, we'd like to ask you to share a review on the platform on which you're listening. Let us know how the podcast is benefiting you. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, our contact information can be found in the show notes. That's all for today. Until next time.